Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I am joined once again by Donnie Walls. Hey, Donnie, thank you for coming on again. Hey, Leo. Hey, thanks for having me again. I'm really excited to, uh, to talk about your new adventure today. Yeah. Before we get started, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah. So for those that do not know me, my name is Donnie Walls. I am probably most known for being a blogger slash author and conference speaker. Uh, I wrote books about Combine and Core Data, uh, also two of the topics that I like talking and blogging about most. Uh, and recently, I made the big decision to no longer be an employee and sort of venture off on my own, which is a topic that I guess we'll talk plenty about. So I'll, I'll leave it at that for the introduction. What's been your biggest surprise going solo? Uh, how natural it feels, but also... For reasons we'll get into, it feels very similar to just working for a boss, except more fun. Okay. Well, I'll let you go ahead. Like, tell me, what, what do you mean by that? <laughs> uh, so as I announced that I was going to go solo in the freelance, whatever you want to call it, uh, I immediately, of course, got a ton of offers from companies that were like, we want to hire you either as an employee or as a consultant, uh, which meant that I was in a very luxury position of almost immediately starting with my first uh big client project. It's a contract for six months, uh, helping uh, a company create training materials for the SDKs that they produce, which is a lot of fun. Uh, but it does mean that I was put immediately back into this rhythm of working for a boss, right? Uh, more or less, except now I am the boss and they I'm working with them more than for them, which is very subtle. Uh, but I'm sure you know exactly what that means because you still feel pretty free, but you're also uh, in a company doing work. Yeah, that's true. I think like for me, like I wasn't, I don't think I was in as much of a fortunate position finding work when I started off. So it was a bit harder for me to get work. And there's definitely been droughts, I would say, when I haven't been able to find work, um, but I've managed accordingly. Well, I'll, I'll just, we'll, we'll expand a little bit what you were saying about being your own boss. I think that that can be a challenge that a lot of people aren't used to because I feel like some people need an employer to tell them what to do and kind of lack, not the initiative. I don't want to say initiative necessarily as much as like creativity to understand what they actually need to do without somebody telling them. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would probably call it, it's more of a mix of a bunch of things, right? It's, it's a certain drive. It's a certain, vision it's a certain ability to see things that need to get done and then actually do them um you know and then also the initiative you know the the guts also i guess to to do things um because it can be very scary to to take initiatives and to actually you know do something if nobody told you to do it so i, th I think it's a mix i think that's sort of what you what you're trying to say right because it's not just and i think to me like that's one of the things that there, there have been times when a lot of my work was self-driven and I'm just like, I'm tired. Can somebody just like pay me and tell me what to do? Like there's actually points in my career, like in the last 10 years I've been doing this, uh, where it's just like, oh, I'm so tired of like coming up with my own plan. I just want somebody to pay me and like just tell me what to do because it gets so tiring after a while. But then at the same time, like there are times when – I've worked with clients who like don't know what they're doing and tell me what to do. And I don't really care for it. And, you know, so I, I get both sides of the equation. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, 
right now I'm very energetic. So I feel like, you know, bring it on. Uh, I'm going to do all the things. And whenever <laughs> I see something that I think needs doing, I'm going to do it, whether it's for my client or for myself. Like, you know, it's, it's more of a, you, know, you want to do all these things. But I've also already noticed that, you know, now that I am my own boss, I am a little bit less inclined to start writing or doing big stuff uh, in the evenings or in the weekends. Because it's like, you know, my client's 40 hours a week right now, so that's too much uh, to do things in addition to it. But it's going to be uh, more like 20 hours in, in a month or two uh, when we're going to go into more of a maintenance mode. And that's when I'm going to do a ton of writing, probably. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I've learned is like trying to avoid those kind of 40-hour-a-week contracts too much. Because yeah, then you yeah, lose a lot of focus. Yeah, for, for me, it's really because uh, the only reason I accepted 40 hours for now is because of onboarding because of meeting a lot of people, you know, going in head first, but uh, we're going to go to 32 hours in the second month and then 20 to 24, uh, depending on the workload on uh, the third month forward. So that's awesome. That works out great. Yeah. That's going to be amazing. Cause that's going to leave me a lot of time to, you know, work on whatever I want to work on. That, that that's always been my perfect balance. Like 50, 50, my work, somebody else's work. Yeah. Same here. Same here. Totally. Hey folks, it's that time again. The best Swift developer event in the known universe begins. At least that's what it says on the website, but it is an awesome event. If you heard John Wilker on our previous podcast episode, you know I'm talking about 360 iDev. This year, they're going to be doing something a little bit different with a hybrid event. You can choose between three different tickets, an in-person attendee, online attendee, and the in-person all in, which includes a continental breakfast, conference Wi-Fi, amongst other things. 360 iDev is one of the strongest communities out there when it comes to iOS, Mac, and other Swift development platforms. And they've been serving the community for, gosh, 12 years now. They've come a long way. They're not done being awesome and helping the community thrive, and they're going to crush it in 2021, just as they did in 2020. So you'll definitely want to check it out. Joe Chaplinski who spoke in a previous episode about subcontracting, will also be their keynote speaker. And I know from the Release Notes podcast that he is a solid speaker and he's going to bring a lot to the table. I'm really looking forward to hearing Joe speak. So I highly recommend checking out 360 IDEV this year, August 22nd to 25th in Denver. Or if you need to, they have an online ticket as well if you want to go that route instead. Listeners of the podcast can get 25% off registration by using the promo code EmpowerApps. Again, 360 iDev is this year, Denver or online, between August 22nd to 25th, with, I know, a great selection of speakers and a really great way to find others in the community and throughout the world. Get your ticket today and sign up, and I look forward to seeing you there. So what what was part of your decision process to leave Disney and go solo? Yeah, so that's been a very lengthy and bumpy process. Um, I actually talked to you about it a little bit uh, to get your advice on it. Um, But it, it all kind of has been a dream of me always to, at some point, uh, do something for myself. And I never really knew what it was going to be. It could have, like, I could have started an agency. I could have become a full-time author i could have gone freelance uh, like years ago uh but for some reason i just never did that i wanted to work for a boss also because it's a little bit scary to to go off on your own and then 
Uh, you know, you, you need to save a little bit of money and all that. So eventually, uh, I wrote Practical Combine last year. And when that started doing well, I was like, hmm, okay, this could remove the money argument because this is bringing in something, right? It's not a ton of money, but it's something stable, kind of. And then the Cordata book came on top of that. And that also is doing well. So I was like, okay, now, now things are getting interesting, right? Now I'm removing boundaries that I had set for myself and I'm not even doing it on purpose. Uh, and then I noticed that I started to enjoy just the work that I was doing less and less, mostly related to COVID, like being at home by myself all the time. I started to think like, hmm, this feels like I'm freelancing or my own boss, except I'm not. I'm still working for somebody else. And that sort of started bringing some friction for me, bundled with, you know, the books bundled with seeing what I could do if I did workshops, if I did uh, freelancing. And then it like is what it was a few months of me being scared of it and talking to people about it until I eventually decided, okay, now is the time. Let's go ahead and do it. So what were some things that you did to like prepare yourself to be ready? Uh, talk to a lot of people, uh, get their input. And really, uh, a bunch of people told me, like, you're asking me things or you're talking to me about this, but it feels like you've already made up your mind. And you just want everybody to tell you to do it. Or you're looking for that one person to tell you to not do it. So you have an excuse. I was like, well, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing, I guess. <laughs> and then somebody told me, like, why Why wouldn't you quit your job today? And I'm like, well, it's, it's super scary. And he said, like, just try and wait. It's never going to get not scary. It, it will stop being scary once you did it. And I really took that to heart. Like, it's, it's going to be scary. Uh, and it's it's even a little bit scary now. Even though right now I'm in a very comfortable position, I know that when the contract ends in like six months, you, you're not 100% sure what will happen. I'm like 90% sure it's going to turn out completely fine, no matter what the outcome of the contract is. Uh, but there is that uncertainty that's probably going to be like, you've been doing this for a very long time. You could probably say if it ever stops being a little bit scary. Yeah, like, I feel like I've been through enough that I'm not really scared anymore. I've been through enough of these bumps where things go wrong, like really horrible clients. Or, I don't know, like, for me, one of the things that alleviated my, a lot of my fear, well, first of all, I had a lot of support from my wife, which was super helpful. Uh, if you have a life partner who's not going to support you on this, like, uh, don't, like, don't do it. Um, we had a bunch of cash saved up and we had like a good financial plan. So like, that's a big part of it. Like when, when the rubber hits the road, I think that's the thing that really matters is making sure you're financially stable enough and have enough of an emergency fund to cover anywhere between like three to 12 months, depending on what, like what your comfort level is. Uh, but two, like one of the things is especially us, like we're software developers, the worst that's going to happen is you don't get a client and you just have to go back to working full time. And like, that's it. Like it's not, nobody's going to die. Nobody's going to get hurt. Like if you go into it with a mindset, like, okay, like if this doesn't work out, that's fine. At least I tried it. And I know like whether it was a good fit for me, so to me, like, what exactly are you afraid of? Because we're we're software developers. It's easy for us to find work no matter what. Like, it may not be the best work in the world, but it's fairly easy to find work for, for those of us with that skill set. So I never went into it like, oh, if I if this doesn't work out, like, I, I, my dreams are crushed and, like, it's the end of the world. I can't believe it. It's like, 
you know, some people go back to doing full-time work and some people don't. Some people do full-time, go back to doing full-time work and then come go back to doing freelance later. Like, I'm not, like, married to the idea, so, so like, of that being a dream that I'll, like, if I don't do it and it doesn't work out, I'm going to be crushed by it. Like, I never went into it that way. But yeah, I mean, uh, there's definitely been times where I've talked to my wife like, oh man, like, uh, this sucks. Like, this is not working out. Like, I can't find a client. This is horrible. But things just always work out. It's like all, it's like clockwork. I don't know if there's like a fiscal cycle attached to it or what, but it like seems like it always ends up working out or we always have enough cash saved up. And it's like things that things have kind of worked, you know, for the best. To me, like, I think I have had more struggles than you have, well, you've only been doing this for a few months, but just finding clients can always be really difficult and just trying to get your name out there so people recognize you and and consider your talents, I think, is a big part of that. And like you've obviously done that with your books and your public speaking. And I have this whole thing here and my public speaking. So that's helped a lot, I think, with getting clients. Yeah, for sure. It's 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 been in- immensely helpful because basically I think Within a week, I got like six people who were like, come work for me, come work for me, solely because of the reach that I had during my announcement, you know, the reputation that I've built over the past couple of years. So I I consider myself incredibly lucky, even though it's all hard work, of course. Um, It's also a big portion of luck, of course, like, you know, writing about the right things at the right time, you know, being in the right places and and meeting the right people. Well, I think like with luck, though, uh, one of the things is, yes, you have to be lucky, but... You have to set yourself up for it. Yeah, you need to set yourself up for it. If you if you only play uh, blackjack once, like yeah, it's obviously you could you you it's either one all or nothing. But if you play it enough times, you'll eventually win. And I think that's kind of the idea with luck is like you want to get yourself out there more and more often so you continue to take enough chances. To yeah, you can hit that. Jack. Building on that analogy, you want to learn like when are the cards bad and just discard those immediately and like, not even try. Right, right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think, like, that's one of the things is, like, being more picky about my clients. Even though I've had bad times, like, I kind of have a good smell for a bad client. When I would just, like, either they're picky about paying you, they're haggling you about rates, they're, like, just kind of the morale of the employees. Like, that's a good indication of, like, yeah, this might not be worth at all uh, after all. Like, I think that's something that I've grown to appreciate more is like the ability to say no, because like, unless I'm desperate enough for the cash, like it's not, it's not really worth it when there's other clients out there who could be a lot better and could be taking more of my time. Yeah. And and they're probably only like uh, a week away, right? Like after the, the terrible client. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's one thing that I had as a sort of criteria for myself. It's, I want to be able to say no to clients right off the bat. Like, I don't want to need to have work for at least the rest of the year. Yeah, I remember you mentioning that to me. And, you know, like, you kind of need to have work in the sense that you don't want to say no to everybody. But you also don't want to be desperate and say yes to anything. You want to be, like, right in the middle where you're like, okay, this client looks good. They're not annoying about rates. Uh, The company looks great. The tasks sound fantastic. It's a good match. You want to wait for that a little bit. You want to have enough enough buffer to to be able to wait. At least that was it for me. Yeah. I think too, like, is the project interesting? Like, 
I, I don't know about you. For sure. But I'm sure if it's a project that involves combine or core data, that might be like, ooh, I can like continue to or whatever mm-hmm. your next book idea is. Uh, no spoilers, but like if there's some like API that they're working on that they could use help with and you could help and you could write a book off of. Like, yeah, that that would be that would be a good fit as well. Yeah, you want to have a place that like plays into your talents too and to the things that you enjoy, which is funny because actually the client I'm with now, I initially talked to them for more of a like to work on, on one of their SDKs was the initial talk and it sounded good and everything. But then the engineering manager was like, so I looked at your resume and this job, you could do it. I'm confident, but it looks like a poor fit for you. We also have this department where we make training materials and uh, help people learn our SDKs and all that stuff, which seems like something you would enjoy far more. And I was like, I think I would actually, that actually sounds really good. Like just to hone my teaching skills, to get better at recorded video and all that. And also just the company was so fun and so cool. It's, It's so special to me also that one of these managers would basically just be like, I want to hire you, but I'm going to hand you off to somebody else because I think it's a better fit. Nice. That is really great. That's one of the things too, is like, as you're going solo is finding out both what you enjoy more and what's more profitable. And I think finding that like Venn diagram in between. Yeah. Sadly, a lot of the fun things don't necessarily pay very well. That is true. But some do. There's a lot yeah. of things that don't pay very well and aren't fun. So True. You want to be... definitely red flag those as soon as possible. <laughs> um, but like there was definitely a lot of things that I did early in my solo career that was like a complete waste of time and wasn't fun. Like networking just anything involving like meeting people and like a lot a lot of the bad advice I got was just kind of advice from people who run their own businesses but are not in any way near the same industry and I feel like I was like okay what does a business person do to run their business and I would follow that advice and it was like never it consistently like did not help my business at all and it's funny because like once COVID came like I, I never networked. I was already like by the end of 2019, I'm like, this is a waste of my time. Why am I doing this stuff? And then like 2020 rolled around. And it's like, okay, good. Good timing, Leo. You picked the right time to stop going out and meeting people because it wasn't <laughs> worth it anyways. Yeah. So, so what, what, do you have an example of what uh, these business people would tell you that turned out to be maybe true for their uh, line of business, but not at all. I mean, there were some people who suggested doing door-to-door sales, like going to a company in town and like going in and saying, Hey, you know, I heard like, I wasn't, at first I wasn't like focused. Speaking of fun things that are profitable, by the way, Apple development is fun and profitable. I'm just going to say that like making iOS apps and stuff or yeah. Yeah. It's actually fun and it's profitable. Very. So like that, that was a big thing. Like, me focusing my industry and where I'm at right now, which is like doing the Apple stuff for like focusing solely on the Apple stuff in the last seven years has helped a lot, but like also, you know, doing, doing talks and presentations and meetups like that never panned out. That was always part of it too, is just people were not in the same industry. They wouldn't hire you or like recommend you. And sometimes the audience numbers were pretty dismal. So it's like, why am I putting all this work in for these networking groups and not not getting much out of it? And I think that was that was a big like drawback for me and like avoiding that. Yeah, like I said, by the end of 2019, I was pretty much done done with that stuff. Yeah, makes sense. 
Yeah, conferences, I've been thinking about them a lot, especially with them being remote. Like, how much do they, like, of course, as an employee there, they're a ton of fun. And, like, you can spend all the time you want on it, especially if your boss is on board because you're going to get paid by your boss. Uh, but when it's you paying yourself to do them, it's 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 something that I had to sort of reconsider for myself. Like, what will I do with conferences and meetups? Because I used to say yes to everybody. Mm-hmm. But I kind of feel like they don't lead necessarily to job offers or to tasks or to big assignments or to good clients. Uh, they, they lead to a lot of exposure, which can be useful depending on what you do. But mm-hmm. I'm not sure what yeah. your experience is, but I don't feel like... You're going to get clients out of conferences. I think you're – take this as a compliment. I think you're a little bit higher on the rung, the ladder of uh, like awareness than I am. So I think for you, you've kind of maxed out, whereas I still feel like doing a conference talk still is worthwhile for me. Yeah, I would never uh, – at this point, I don't think I would ever pay to go to a conference at this point though. Yeah. I think I've done that once. And it was fun, but it was like – it's hard for me to justify that cost for my business. So usually if I do speak at a, well, okay, last year I didn't get paid to speak at any, well, I think I got paid to speak at a conference, but I never went anywhere. So everything was remote. So that doesn't count. But like uh, previously, like 2019, I was pretty much like, I was just giving like whatever travel costs. Cause that's all I really care about is the travel costs. Yeah. Once that's like paid. Okay. Then it's like, yeah, I'll speak at that conference. But 2020, yeah, I did, like, I think I mentioned this on the show, like, I've done, like, the 10 talks that year, all remote, and, like, that worked out really well. I think that helped me a ton. Oh, that's awesome. And if life wasn't so crazy right now, I probably would do more this year. But, like, other than 360i dev, which I've planned uh, in the middle of August, like, I I don't know if I can really take on another talk this year. We'll see. Because I have like some craziness going on right now. Yeah. And my big surprise, uh, the big family surprise in November. I don't know if people know, but we're we're expecting our sixth. So it's like, I don't think I want to do a conference talk like in January or December or November, because I think no. I think it would be a little too crazy right now. I also think there's a big difference between like conferences in person and, and remote. Like for me, I feel like there's a lot of value in the in person ones uh, as a speaker yeah. going there. As long as Having people being paid. able to actually meet you. Yeah, but also to meet other speakers and other people over there. And also, like, uh, what I know some speakers do is they will sort of ask the, the organizers if companies in the area, for example, are looking for workshops or uh, something else that they can do, like, on-site for this company. Uh, which can be very, very useful and very interesting. And, and also, like, make it extra... Uh, profitable to to do it like make it worth it even more it's just remote conferences for me uh, i think what you say is definitely true without sort of bragging or anything like i'm not sure how much i would get out of an online conference i feel like i could put a youtube yeah. video online and get as many eyes on it uh, as i would at a conference which might not yeah. be true for everybody the other problem too with a conference this isn't particularly true with ios developers but with other developer conferences i've been to is if people were kind of like forced or like didn't really have an incentive to go but they're just like it's time off and they're not like super active at the conference that's not the case with ios devs don't get me wrong but with i've been to other conferences where it's just like oh they paid us to come here it's free food and like we don't have to go to work so this is great like and in that case, you're not going to really have a very dynamic audience that's going to go out and want to buy your your practical uh, combined book. Sorry, like this is not going to happen. 
So like, that's the other thing. Like, I don't think, I think all the iOS dev conferences I've been to, it's not like that at all. Usually I think it's just, just the nature of our audience and our crowd is like much more engaged and interested in the topic. Whereas like, especially with your more wider audiences, like you start getting into like PHP or like JavaScript where you have a massive audience um, or .NET, like those, you might have more people who are not as enthusiastic and are just there because they're employees. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. iOS is definitely an exceptionally active and proactive uh, audience compared to other places I've been to. Definitely agree with that. What are some recommendations you have for someone who wants to go solo? What are some like guides or steps that you would suggest they make? Uh, that one's tough because I feel like I'd be giving recommendations that I probably would have ignored myself for the longest <laughs> time, and now I regret it. <laughs> I actually talked to a, to a good friend of mine uh, last Friday, and he is trying to figure out if he wants to go for a new job or uh, start something of his own with very similar reasons that I had for not doing it. Like, I would have to find clients. What about money? What about, you know, security? Uh, but this job sounds kind of good, all that stuff. And really, if it's something you want to do ever in your life, Next year, you'll have a new reason to not do it. And the year after, you'll have another new reason to not do it. So, like, make sure your life partner, if you have one, is on board. I uh, definitely agree with what you said earlier. Like, that support, you're going to need it. And just go for it. And if in two to three, three months it doesn't pan out, you can always go back to working for a boss. Like, the jobs are not suddenly... The job market doesn't close for you once you try going freelance. Yeah, we're good. Like, every recession, like, there's never, like, people don't... People can easily find job in the tech market. That's just, like, no matter what hits us economically, that's pretty much been the case for over the last, whatever, 20, 30 years. So I, I don't think that's something you have to worry about. I do think have an emergency fund, and based on how much you spend on an average and how much of a risk taker you are. Like I definitely recommend having that, uh, make sure to follow whatever legal guidelines in your country as far as what kind of like, what is it? What do you have? A GMB GM. Did I say that right? What's the European For what LLC? Oh, uh, we have a sort of, we have self-employed, but not like other countries have self-employed. Like I have a legal entity. I pay sales tax or yeah, okay. uh, VAT uh, over here. Uh, all that stuff. So you are a legal entity. It's just a one-man business. Yep. So, for example, so I'm not allowed to do Whatever the guidelines in your country is, that's yeah. Like, talk to a figure lawyer and get that figured out. Make sure you're paying yeah. your taxes. Like the the kind of businessy stuff that we don't like to talk about. And don't burn any bridges when you leave. Like that's the other thing is like like when yeah. you leave that company, like that could end up being your future employer again. There's no need to like burn that bridge and be like, I'll show you all. I'm going to be a success and then have to come back, you know, crawling. For sure. They might even because be things don't work point. out. Yeah, right. That's true too. Yeah, we talked about that, right? You could always you could always look at that employer as maybe a client at some point uh, if they're willing to, to uh, sever those employee ties but keep you as a client. Like that would be good. Yeah. So and one thing in the Netherlands uh, that's very different from the U.S. Here, if we give notice, it's typically for a month. Uh, okay. So if I would give notice today. I would uh, have my last day on August 30 or 31st. Um, so once you give notice, if you're in a country with similar rules, start looking for a client immediately because that gives you one or one and a half months of searching 
without it being awkward because you already quit your job. You're just sitting out that one month notice. Uh, and in my opinion, it's perfectly fine to start talking to potential clients. I would actually go, I would say, look for your first client before you put in your one month notice. If possible, yeah. Yeah, that's what I did. I didn't start until I had my first client. And then I, like, here, it's two weeks. I gave my two weeks notice. And that's that's how yeah. I, I got started. What were you going to say? Yeah, it's, it, it also depends on how you want to do it. Like, I wanted it to be on LinkedIn and Twitter and everything. Like, just be very public about it, which... yeah. Would be very weird if you haven't given your notice net and your your manager sees this tweet and he's like, Hey, what's up? What's this? Are you Surprise. leaving? Like, I'm not sure yet. I, once I have my client, you'll hear. That would be a little bit awkward. So I think one thing I think we should talk about that we haven't touched upon because I think it's easy for you, but not as easy for me is finding clients. What are your suggestions for somebody who doesn't have quite the reach that we have? Oh, that's interesting. So definitely approach people. Like you are going to have to get out there. I wouldn't say do door-to-door sales like that business person suggested you, but when you see a posting on LinkedIn, reach out. Also, I know recruiters get terrible reputations. You might want to befriend a couple uh, because these people do actually put people in jobs. Yeah, They might not be uh, the nicest to deal with all the time, but they actually have a job, and that is to get you a job. And the nice help, thing is you don't even have them to pay them for you. it. Yes, and the nice thing is you don't even have to pay them for it because it's the client that hires them and the client that pays them. Uh, and the recruiter will also help you get a good salary because the better your rate is, the more the recruiter gets paid typically. So it's a win-win for everybody. So the recruiters will typically be on your side. I did an episode with Joe Chaplinsky a couple of years ago where he talked about going into subcontracting, which that has been really good for me because uh, when you're in a subcontracting relationship, like you are not, you don't have to be this like massive company that deals with all the paperwork and legal. Like you have a middleman to take care of that. And like, I, I will gladly give you a cut of my rate if I get a decent rate, right? If you're willing to deal with the business side of stuff. And that's been a really good relationship. I highly recommend like yeah. finding finding an agency that just needs needs an iOS developer for a quick project, like fill in those time gaps. That's what I that's what I've kind of sold myself as is like like if you need a 40 hour a week person for five years, like that's what an employee is for. If you need somebody to like give you a few months of work part time, like that's my perfect fit. Like I am there to fill in that time when they need uh, what's it called? Staff augmentation for a brief period. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's one thing that I didn't want to do. Like as soon as I would be picking up Jira tickets and participating in sprint planning, that would be the point where I'd be like, uh, I'm not sure if this is what I meant when I said uh, freelance or contracting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They can pay really well and they can help a lot. Like I don't I don't know about you, but like in so, some of the relationships I've had, they've been like, "Yeah, please keep working on the code. You don't have to come to the meeting and and deal with the Jira tickets. You're really good at what you do. That we don't want to distract you in any way." Yeah. Yeah, like you don't have to be involved in all that. And and that's really nice. I really like that. And, yeah. and also one thing that I would say is what I've noticed is that sometimes people will reach out or you'll you'll be put in a in a in an interview or you'll find a vacancy for a for an employee, right? They might be looking for one. But in a lot of cases you can just tell them, look, I'm very interested in this contract, in this job, but I don't want to be your employee. Right? Like I want to do this on a contracting basis. And it might not be exactly what you had in mind when you went for freelancing or contracting. 
But it's definitely an option to just go into an interview that might normally be for a normal employee and tell them, I want to be a contractor and I want to be here for six months and no more than 32 hours a week. Like This was my list of things that I want. And I was surprised by how open companies are to that, to just being clear in what you want from them, uh, even though they invited you for a different conversation. As long yeah. as you say it very early, like don't wait until the end. Because yeah, then you be upfront about it and be honest about what you're actually looking for. I totally agree with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it might even work out better um, if you do that, because, you know, like that's what I did with this contract, too. I just told them like 32 hours max, ideally 50-50. So if you could put me on 20 after a while, that would be fantastic. Yeah, and they were that's like, really yeah, good. Sure. Yeah. And building that relationship, too, and just building that trust. I think that's what a lot of employers or, or people who are hiring have a really hard time with trust, because quite honestly, they've hired people who've sucked and they don't like being burnt on that. And if you can build that trust with somebody whether that's a recruiter or a company that's going to strengthen that relationship. And it takes a long time. Like I think with someone like you or me, it's, it's easier at this point, but I know when I first started out, I had to like build a name for myself and like, I had to go out there. I had to like, like go on Slacks or Twitter or LinkedIn and constantly just reach out to people. And like, it takes time to do that. Certainly like to build that, that client repertoire, I guess, uh, the, 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 the name for yourself so that people are willing to to accept you and, and bring you on to their team. Yeah. And, and also just be comfortable with selling yourself, like grow to confidence to, to actually say like, you should hire me for this. Like you really should. Cause I'm kind of good at this, which is scary to say. But, but like also like one thing I think is helpful that you and I both can do is like talk about stuff technically so that we don't look like we're full of BS you know, and offer that advice. I think that helps a lot when somebody like hears you talk about something actually technically and like, you know what you're talking about and you look at their code and you're like, oh, well, you want to do this and this and this and this because we've done this enough times. Like, I think that helps as well, like to actually know what you're talking about and being able to talk about it confidently. Yeah, yeah like it, it doesn't have to be a confidence uh, that, that could be arrogance. It just has to be like confidence in, in the sense of, you actually are good at this and it's okay to say that you are good at this and it's okay to tell them you should hire you. Uh, you should be hired because of that, be because it would be a mistake to let you go. So what has been some of your biggest challenges in your recent like adventure? Uh, well, I haven't faced any big, I think the biggest challenges were before getting started and, and get going with it. Uh, and then also one challenge that I had faced immediately is during talks and interviews, as a contractor, you're not looking for an employee relationship. So your attitude can be slightly different. Uh, like I just mentioned, be upfront about what you want, what you're going to do, what you're not going to do. Um, like be honest about it. Uh, and also like I got one coding challenge and I took that and I was like, hmm, I kind of didn't want to do that because I felt like that's an employee thing. And I also felt like, come on, Google my name. Uh, you can see that I know how to code. Like, don't have me do a table view. Come on. It's clear that I can do this. And I feel like, and I think this is advice, not just for people who go into freelancing, but a challenge is to, to sort of step up for yourself at that point and say, hey, you know what? I don't want to do this. I feel like I have enough evidence uh, available for you and I can provide you with a plenty of evidence without spending all Sunday working on this task. Uh, 
co-challenges have always turned out to be a, like an epic waste of my time, like consistently. Anybody who's ever asked me to do a co-challenge and I've done it, it's always like doesn't go anywhere. It's a disaster of a client. Like I, yeah, I pretty much have signed off on co-challenges. I just don't, I don't think they, they, I don't, I th- speaking of smelling bad clients, that's a good smell for a bad client right there. Cause it's just like, like either they're they're lazy, too lazy to interview you, or they have way too many, uh, way too many pe- applicants. So they're they're not going to spend time looking yeah, at you genuinely. Yeah, I'm not sure this would have been a particularly bad client, but I don't think it would have been one where I would have been happy uh, working with them. Yeah, uh, and and this also sounds weird every time I say it, but what surprised me is when I told them that I wrote two books, they were like, "Oh, really." I was like, it's on my resume. <laughs> Didn't you look at that? Like, I don't expect everybody to know me by name, but if I but send you, you put my it on resume, the resume, so it's not like I don't feel like, like I would expect you to have read it and, right. and to see that that's kind of something worth asking about. Like for me, if I would be interviewing somebody uh, that wrote a book, I would be asking them about it because that would be very interesting to hear more about. So it, yeah. it kind of felt like either they had too many applicants and they just forgot, or they just right. weren't well prepared or something, which. I reckon I will find out at some point is also a smell where <laughs> they're probably not going to be a great client. Yeah. Um, I think for me, just like dealing with really bad clients who don't pay and threaten to sue, like that kind of craziness. Now, I don't really take it super seriously when that has happened. That's only happened to me very few times, but it's definitely happened where just like the, you could just tell this client didn't know what they were doing. And yeah, that's kind of like now that I've gone through it, it's like, eh, you know, whatever, do what you want. Like, I know who you are. Um, but that's that's definitely happened in my like 10, 12 years. Yeah. So, so one challenge that I can imagine that might occur someday for me and probably has for you is what would ha- what how do you decide when it's time to walk away? Right? You're in progress. You have a project going and it's getting mm. worse and worse and the client's becoming more abusive and you're like, these people are not going to pay me. I'm sure of it, but I've already done like 80 hours of work. When do you decide to just email them, tell them, Hey buddies, here's the code. Delete my number. It's done. Like just, I'm getting out. Uh, have a deliverable, have something deliverable that proves that you did some work and yeah, just plan that out. When, when you start getting that feeling, you probably are already at that point. So you just need to figure out, okay, when at what point do I have something I can give to them that's tangible so that I can say, look at the work that I've done. I've actually helped you guys and yeah. you need to pay me. And I think that that to me is like a helpful recourse. Yeah, that's, that's does that make sense? Idea. Yeah, definitely. Like um, sort of make a natural point where it's not like you're stopping in the middle of it. It's like, I built this part for you and that's done. Like you can give that to somebody else to work on it. Uh, but I'm not going to do it. Just, you know, pay me whatever this is worth. You probably hopefully had a contract in place that sort of had this milestone in it and then just kind of pull out and, you know, I ideally tell them like not, not to tell them never call me again, but ideally tell them like, if you need help with, transferring this call me but otherwise uh just tell them yeah you can tell them you're like you don't you're not available like whatever like it happens yeah i mean i think if if you could step away like i I would assume you could pretty much step away when when you get to that point like yeah when you figured out where to draw that line yeah 
So I reckon that could be a problem for many people, including myself, probably at some point. Like, how do you decide when enough is enough? And how do you decide that maybe you should just take the loss? Like, are you going to pursue a client over $500 to $1,000? Or are you just going to say, like, okay, you know what? Just keep it. <laughs> and two, like, have a good contract. Like, that's that to me is a big deal. It's like having a really solid contract so that you have a way to get out of these bad relationships is super important. Um, and that's, like, where a lawyer could be really helpful. How do you stay on track right now? Like, obviously, right now, you're doing a 40-week, so you probably don't have a lot of time to do the other stuff. But when you start going part-time, how are you going to make sure that you still work on your book and do your blogging while also doing this contract work? Yeah, so so in, in the two weeks before I started this contract, I, uh, I, I've, I've used all my uh, paid leave at Disney. So I had two weeks to sort of try it out and be on my own. And what I really tried is to just keep a normal rhythm, right? It's very tempting to say like, oh, I'm the boss. I can start working at 11 a.m. Nobody's going to tell me that it's not a lot. But I feel like you're only going to hurt yourself with that because you're not going to stay up until 11 in the evening to to make a full day. So it's better to just kind of get up in the morning, start your work day like you normally would, 9 a.m., 10 a.m., whatever your rhythm is, you know, Make a list of goals and tasks that you want to do for the week or for the day, whatever works for you. For me, uh, for me, neither of those really work. For me, it's more of a, I have a lot of things that I want to do like by the end of the year. And I'm pretty good at working on whatever I want to work on and make sure that everything kind of makes a little bit of progress when, when needed. And, you know, just have lunch like you normally would, you know, just keep a rhythm. I felt like that was for us two weeks. That was really important. And also, like, one thing to stay on track is to not overwork yourself. Because it's very tempting. When it's for you, I noticed immediately, like, oh, this is all, like, for me. Like, you know, for a boss, you're not getting anything out of your overwork or your, your extra hours. But for yourself, you are. But also, um, I would say try to keep that to a minimum. Yeah, I agree. Definitely on the overwork thing. That's something I've struggled with this year. But also, like, life happens, and that's something to really keep an eye on, is when stuff happens in your life, like, you're going to be distracted. It's going to happen. Like, I, last two weeks, dealing with this this COVID situation, uh, it's definitely been a big, like, eating away at my time and things like that. And it's not just, like, keeping me busy, but keeping it on my mind definitely can tire you out. So, like, making sure that you have, like, you know, the ability and flexibility to deal with that when it happens, because it will happen. Something's going to go wrong. It's just, it's life. We don't live in a bubble. So uh, keep that in mind as well is like being able to plan and be flexible. So I have like a, a spreadsheet, like a numbers spreadsheet I've had for like the last two years that has a task list. And then I'll just create like a new sheet every week. So I keep track of what my most important priorities are for that week. And that's basically what I've been doing. And then like trying to stay on schedule with, with the intermittent things that the, the, the things I do on a regular schedule, like doing the show or, or doing like uh, my weekly new, my uh, bi-monthly newsletter and things like that, trying to stay on schedule with those things as well has been, uh, you know, part of that that flow and then obviously keeping clients happy and things like that also. So is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we close out? Uh, do you have a new book planned? Oh, do I have a new book? 
Uh, I have two on my list of, I have one on my want to do before the end of the year and another one, hopefully before the end of the year. Can you tell us what they are? Um, yes, I okay. can. It's arc, practical arc, right? Yes. 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 And practical, uh, well, I'm trying to think of another thing. Practical objective C, I don't know. No, mastering block syntax. There you go. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that'll be a big one. You've yeah. got this no, whole uh... thing planned out well. <laughs> I mean, they've been on my list for the past 10 years, so I figured I'd finally do that. <laughs> no, no. Um, so one one that I've been wanting to write for ages is going to be on testing. Um, and I'm still not quite sure what the approach should be, but I feel like a lot of developers could use a no-nonsense guide to testing. Uh, as you know, testing is a very polarizing topic, and a lot of people have very... Uh, big opinions and are very focused on, no, that's a mock. No, that's a stub. You shouldn't need this. You shouldn't need that. But the reality is we all write uh, hard to test code and we should start somewhere. So I'd rather publish something that helps people to get going without forcing something on them that's highly opinionated and mostly try and make it about, you know, here's your code. Here's why it's hard to test. And here's how you can make it easy. And here's... I had Gio on a few weeks ago and he talked about his Swift UI testing book. And yeah, that seems like a really hot topic right now is testing, I think. With all- I mean, it has been for years now. It's 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 amazing how eager people are, are to learn how to test and mostly how, how to get that silver bullet where you don't have to ask your, your project manager for extra time to do testing. Yeah. Because um, yep. that is something that is a very often used argument. Together with, I don't know where to start uh, and... I don't get the time for it. Yep. Those two are are the main points that I always hear from people. And once you get provisioned in testing, unit tests are actually faster than running the app on your device and tapping a bunch of stuff and typing a bunch of stuff to verify that yep. you, in fact, do get that um, login failed screen as you expect it. And the tool set's gotten a lot better, too, on Xcode as far as testing. Is that too, I think that's that helped too. a lot. And yeah. And, and, and if you are confident in your testing skills, you can start doing it while you develop. Not necessarily test-driven development, but something very close to that. And that means that you're actually moving as fast or faster as you would without testing most of the time. So that's one topic that I kind of want to write about. And the other, of course, uh, I I think people would be very disappointed if I didn't say that I was working on that, uh, is Swift Concurrency. Of course, the big feature from iOS 15, that's one that I really want to write about. However, that one is very scary to write about for me uh, because concurrency is so complicated and it's it's going to be a very, very hot topic. And it's very easy to to be wrong with concurrency. Yeah. So I want yeah. to take I'm my time. I'm going to talk on it. I understand completely. Yeah. Yeah. So I really want to take my time with that one and not rush something out uh, at the risk of having some huge mistakes in there. So Yeah. Awesome. Anything you want to plug? Are you speaking soon or uh, uh, doing any training that people are should be aware of? Well, if, I mean, if, if you want to learn or if you want your team to learn about Combine or Cordata, um, reach out to me because uh, I do training two hours, link four hours. Notes. Yes. yes, link in show notes. Uh, two hours, four hours, custom made uh, or whatever I have prepared already. We can discuss. Yeah. And, and if there's anybody you want on those topics, Donnie's your guy. Trust me. I know this. And of course, the workshops, uh, either one you could pick, uh, they include a free copy of my book for your whole team. So, Yeah. Fantastic. 
Well, thank you so much, Donnie, for coming on. This has been awesome. I'm glad we finally did this. Thanks for having me, Leo. It was uh, it was good to talk to you again. And if you have any questions for us, feel free to reach us out to us on Twitter. Donnie, where are you at on Twitter? Uh, just my name, Donnie Wells, on Twitter. I am on Instagram, Donnie Wells Dev. Yeah, the the other channels are not very useful to follow me on. <laughs> and also, uh, did I tell you about this, Leo? Uh, if you look for me on Instagram, just Donnie Wells, you will find me, but that's not me. That's the other Donnie Walls. No, that's just somebody that made an account and took like two or three pictures that I posted on Twitter and put it on there and a screenshot of my book and some other random crap. I don't know. But that's just not me. That's so weird. That's so weird. It is. What's your uh, blog site? DonnieWalls.com. Awesome. People can find me on Twitter at Leo G. Dion. I'm on uh, my company is Bright Digit. Please take some time to post a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening. Also, subscribe and like. Next episode, episode 100. So hopefully I can get a video out for that sooner rather than later. Uh, I'm super excited for episode 100. And I don't know if I, I don't know if I told you this, but I also turn a certain age in a week and a half. That's very momentous. So you, you told uh, hoping hoping to get all that stuff, even with this COVID craziness, get that next episode <laughs> out. So uh, thank you for joining us. And if you have any questions, let us know. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.